From the fallout of the ongoing pandemic, businesses have seen major disruptions to global supply chains and a renewed customer preference for Australian-owned and made businesses and products. By manufacturing in Australia, GME is able to produce high-quality, reliable products that consumers want, whilst also keeping local manufacturing jobs. A win-win for everyone. As an Australian-owned and operated business, GME openly embraces Australian manufacturing and is proud to release the only Australian-made handheld UHF CB radio, the TX6600S. The TX6600S underwent all stages of its development at the GME head office in Western Sydney. This included industrial testing, on-site warehousing and national distribution – By completing this all in Australia, it ensures that GME can bring products to market faster than those that rely on importing goods from overseas. These internal measures also enable GME to ensure the TX6600S and other products are manufactured to the highest quality. GME products are brought to market through stringent in-house quality assurance practices and backed by an ISO 9001 manufacturing accreditation to ensure product reliability and to uphold the quality that GME is renowned for. Like all GME products, the TX6600S is built tough like the Australian Outback and comes with a rugged IP67 ingress protection rating to ensure exceptional performance and years of reliable use in the harshest work environment. It was designed to suit a wide range of demanding commercial applications, from agriculture to construction, mining, councils and countless other industries that require stable and dependable communication to get the job done safely and efficiently. So remember... Wherever life takes you, take GME. You're listening to the Central Station Podcast where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. The name Edwina Robertson is synonymous with incredible imagery of people in rural Australia. In amongst being the country's most sought-after outback wedding photographer, Eddie has had a number of adventures, including travelling across the country without spending a dollar and trying her hand at jillarooing at the ripe old age of 34. I recently caught up with Eddie to discuss her incredible adventures and we ended up having a very candid discussion about how her experience as a jewellery was far from picture-perfect. In this episode, Edwina shares some invaluable insights and advice. So let's get into it. 
Edwina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Steph. Now, when you first kind of sprung into everyone's social media feeds, I mean, you'd been working for a few years, but you kind of really went viral in 2015. You were in your mid-20s. And so for all of us who have followed you since then, we've only ever really known the adult Edwina Robertson. So I would like to know, what were you like as a kid? It's that's an interesting question because I really feel in my life I'm a bit slow at everything. <laughs> I'm always a bit slow to the party <laughs> in terms of career, love, um, you know, the typical journey of growing up. And I feel really in my 20s until sort of my late 20s and prior to that, I, I didn't really know myself. I didn't know, I didn't have my identity. I didn't know who I was as a person. I didn't know my place in the world. And until that point, I really didn't have a purpose. And so I'm, it was a bit late to hit my straps, so to speak. <laughs> but I feel that I'm actually a completely different person to what I am now. I've done a lot of maturing growing up emotionally, you know, financially, career-wise, you know, I've sort of really flourished, particularly in the last five to six years. Um, it's sort of been my time, so to speak. And I think if, if someone had to describe me prior to sort of being the mid to late 20s, I'd, I don't really think they'd have much to say. I was, I was pretty average, you yeah, know. I was just, just a standard 20-year-old spending their – paycheck from week to week, you know, not having jobs but not really flourishing in those jobs, um, not having any sense of self-worth kind of, you know, just just being a bit of a sheep. What about <laughs> as like a child um, in like primary school, high school age? Were you the funny one? Were you um, the quiet one, shy? Uh, I think I was always um, – like I had a lot of friends and uh, I always – wanted to please my parents. So I like to be a high achiever. Um, I was very sort of, I did work, I was studious and worked hard at school. Never really, I did sport, but I wasn't gifted when I came to sport. Oh, I hear you there. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> did pony camp. You know, I was never like super great at anything. I was probably a bit of an all-rounder, but I've been told um, by my family members and by people who I've known my whole life that I was always a good kid, like well-behaved, never hated getting in trouble. Just, just I think, an average country kid, you know, nothing super fantastic about me, but also not, uh, you know, halfway to juvenile prison. <laughs> so, well, I think we're all glad for that. Yeah, so, you know, standard, standard kind of childhood growing up on a farm and going to a, a local primary school that only had about 25 kids and then going to boarding school. So, but at school, like in, in grade 12, I was head boarder, you know, vice president of Interact. Like I had a fair few responsibilities and co-curricular sort of stuff and responsibilities. So uh, yeah, I'd like to think I was a, as a well-behaved child. <laughs> it's interesting you, like, you describe it and even when you're just describing your early 20s, like a very ordinary existence, like very, mm. which is so different to since, you know, our listeners and your social media following since they've come across you is that it seems everything you do is extraordinary. 
Or maybe, I mean, maybe not everything because I don't want to like give you too much pressure there. I'm not going to be able to walk out the door here with such a big head. Well, we could just say that you're a horse that ate some buffalo grass and actually got big head. Um, we'll give you some loose hay before you go. We'll be right. We'll remedy that. Um, but yeah, there's so, so much of what we know of you is your extraordinary work and then your extraordinary adventures, which we're going to talk about today. So I just thought it'd be interesting to know, yeah, what were you like as a kid? Thank so you. thanks yeah, for telling just, us. Just pretty average. <laughs> and I think I, to be honest, I, see myself as pretty average still I just the only difference between me and pretty much most other people is I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks and I want to do the best at what I do and 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 if I do it and it helps someone else in their life or it makes them happy or it gives them hope then that's a good thing it's actually about how I how I participate in life as a community member and as as an individual to help other people and that's how I think people perceive it as extraordinary, but I'm just doing what feels right in my heart. I think the takeaway from all of what you've just said for me is that you said I was, you know, just ordinary until, you know, and it was in my late 20s or mid 20s when I really found myself and I've done a lot of growth since then. And it's that idea of who you are today isn't necessarily who you're going to be tomorrow or mm. in five years time, 10 years time. And it was actually kind of like looking at the mirror. Well, I was say looking at the mirror, talking back to me, because everything you're saying, if I close my eyes, because if I look, you definitely don't look like me. <laughs> if I'd gone in like the sleeping beauty mirror or whatever, where they like make you look prettier. <laughs> but um, the idea of, you know, I'm a very different person to who I was as a child. And even five years ago, 10 years ago, even two years ago. Mm. So I think for people listening, it will be valuable for them to hear that it, you know, maybe you didn't have, maybe you weren't the child that won everything at sports or did all this stuff or, you know, achieved at uni or whatever, mm. um, doesn't mean that your time isn't coming mm. and that you haven't got to where you are going. Mm. So it's called evolution too. Yes. I don't actually want to be the same person I was five years ago. Yeah. I want to evolve oh. and I want to grow. And if I look back and go, oh, I am the same person I was five years ago, that's actually more of a concern to me than anything else. Yeah. I think Tony Robbins said, like, you're either growing or dying. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. If you're not growing, you're dying. Dying. Yeah. yeah. So that's really important to me. Like, um, And as I do carry on and my career continues and it it evolves as well and I change into different industries, um, you know, I've lost – I was talking to someone just the other day about friends – I don't have a lot of friends who I was friends with as a child or even in even in secondary school, very, very minimal. And I really struggled to understand that and to accept that for a long time until I realised that I've evolved, and I say this in a kind way, I've evolved in a way where we're not on the same level as anymore. So our friendship has naturally kind of declined because of that and – as I've gone, I've created new friendships and then sometimes I've evolved past those. And it's hard sometimes because sometimes having that stability in a friend and someone who's known you for a long time is a good thing, but I can also see it as a beautiful, positive thing as well. And and that's what I've accepted and um, I want to keep evolving and make the most of this life, which could be very short or, you know, it, it could be a long time, but you just never know. Edwina, have you been reading my diary? Because <laughs> I feel like you've just got it open and you're like, day one. Um, I don't talk to a single person from primary school or high school. And I've actually been having this chat a lot with kids in like, um, you know, kind of 10 years old to 17 years old in the last couple of months that are kind of having some trouble with their friends. And I go, especially like rural kids, and I go, 
if you're not, if you don't have your amazing group of friends with where you go to school, you, the reason that you're all together is because your parents chose to live somewhere. It wasn't your choice. And then that's the school you got assigned to. Like there's literally no other reason. Mm. So if you can make friends with those people, that's great, but they might not be your people. Like mm. I found my tribe after high school mm. when I could go out and find people. And then there's that other aspect of it. That people come into your life for, I, I'm always going to butcher this quote, like a, a season, a, a reason, reason or a something. lifetime or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, I can't find this quote, but I did see something. It was in my Facebook memories the other day. And it's like, don't, Something about don't like misinterpret the reason someone's coming into your life. Um, you know, don't think they're there for one reason when they're there for another and you can actually lose like what they're bringing to that time. Mm. You know, like don't mistake the purpose that they've mm. come into your life and sure. you think they've come into your life for one thing. Mm. They're actually there for another reason and, mm. you know, just take people as they are and do it yeah, all. And of course. I feel like in the first 10 minutes, we've actually had some pretty like, mm. we're bringing all the wisdom. Soul sisters. Starting <laughs> off strong. I know you're going to be stuck with me now. You're going to be like, how do I block people on no, Instagram? Guys, I have her phone number. So, um, I want to skip forward from your childhood in your early twenties to around 2016, 2017, where at the age of 32, you decided to go on a big trip around the country. And I'll let you explain to everyone exactly how that worked, but it was, at this point, you know, it was only a few years after you'd really gone viral and you have this massive following. You are very accomplished and very sought after, you know, the stories of people saying, well, we're not going to pick our wedding date until we know when Edwina's available. Like we'll, we'll work around her, you know, and, um, and then the, obviously the collective, like just heartbreak and, um, I don't even know people, just the tears that when you said that you were like going to sort of like retire or scale back from wedding photography, I was like, hang on, Edwina, I haven't met anyone yet. You better come out of retirement for me. It might not be for another 20 years, but I'll, I'll track you down. But um, why did you decide like at this height of your success and in your career, decide to kind of take this break and go on this trip? As a wedding photographer, it's highly demanding emotionally, physically, you know, time-wise. Like it takes a lot. You've got to be switched on. If you shoot a wedding for 10 hours, you do not have a moment where you're switched off. You are go, go, go. After I shoot a wedding, it's actually they they call it the wedding lag because it's like going to a wedding as a guest and you have this hangover but without the alcohol because you just <laughs> – dead um you're on your feet all day and do that once twice three times a week it really starts to add up and as a photographer you need to be creative and I had this I saw the movie tracks so it came out as a book which all good movies usually do come out as a book prior and it's based around Robin Davidson in 1977 she walked across the desert from Alice Springs to Broome with her camels and she was 27 at the time and I thought, oh, that's such an amazing adventure. I want to do something like that but obviously modernise it. And so I thought of all the ways I could make it an adventure that just wasn't driving around Australia. I thought, well, taking no money, that really sort of adds a spanner in the work. And so for 100 days I drove an old 1979 uh, Toyota Land Cruiser Shorty 40 called Alice and took my dog Geordie and we drove a lap of the map with no money. So I bartered my skills as a photographer for food, fuel and accommodation and stayed with rural families um, on stations or in rural or remote areas. So that was sort of I didn't go to any of the larger cities. Um, and basically for a lot of people it was an opportunity to get family photos, which they 
otherwise wouldn't have had or would have had to spend thousands of dollars to get a photographer in to wherever they were located. So it was a win-win. I could survive without money and, and be be accommodated and looked after very well, um, might I add, and, and people had the ability and opportunity to have some family portraits taken. That in itself is a pretty big or pretty risky kind of adventure to take on. And as you said, you did this by yourself with Geordie, but, you know, I'm sure Geordie can only go so far when it comes to talking back to you in the car, but also just, you know, <laughs> protecting you. Yes. Um, how did you find the courage to travel alone? You know, like these are long, these are, like you said, remote areas, um, long drives, you know, it's no easy feat and, and, and places you didn't know. Um. I just had faith. I had faith in the people. So the families I stayed with, they knew I was coming, obviously. So they sort of nominated that they wanted me to come and stay. So I already knew where I was going. About two weeks out, I always had a bit of a plan for what was happening in the next two weeks. And we just kept adding to that. I had a PA back based back in um, Toowoomba helping me logistically with the trip because there was a lot of driving, a lot of out of service for me. It was, it was full on. I never felt alone. One day in particular, I was up in the northeast corner of of the Territory, sort of closer to the Queensland border, and I did 600 Ks in a day and I didn't see a single person. That's a long way to drive and not see another car. You would and, have been buggered if you'd got a flat tire. Well, do you know what? <laughs> oh, no. On this particular <laughs> trip, I was looking at my map and I kind of had to do this triangle like the the direction was like a bit of a triangle. So I went down, then I came back up. But down sort of at the tip of the bottom of the triangle, I saw this shortcut across. And it was a 100K shortcut. So it wasn't like 10Ks or something. It was a fair way. And on my map, it said that's the way I should go. So I was like, I'm going to take the risk. <laughs> so I took this shortcut to try and cut off another 100Ks of my trip. <laughs> and... I was like, if I get this wrong, I'm going to run out of fuel. Oh, no. <laughs> so for 100 k's, I'm bush bashing through this paddock. There's cattle everywhere. It's not a it's not a well worn track. And I just thought, oh shit, if I get this wrong, this is going to be really wrong. Anyway, as I got to the end of my um, shortcut and to come out and meet the other track that I was originally supposed to be on, I could see a fence, but then I couldn't see a gate, and I was like. I think there's a fence here. I think it's been fenced off. And then there was just this little cocky fence. And I was like, thank God. Because I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to be dead. Like I can't, I've got no more fuel. You know, this thing sucks fuel. I only have enough fuel to get me a certain amount of Ks. I've got 60 liters of, um, like 60 liters in fuel and jerry cans on the top. Plus what's in the tank every day. Like I know my limits and thank God I, I did get through this fence but I remember just sweating I was just going oh no and it wasn't from the territory hey I was in the middle of nowhere I was like I'm gonna run out of fuel here (laughs) they're gonna find me and be like wow she really did eat a dog yeah yeah I had a sat phone though I wasn't stupid yeah so I had um oh what's it called a um uh, like the one you put on your iphone or like a separate no I had a proper sat phone But I also had a oh, like a um, spot tracker yes, or an e Yes, yeah, spot, yeah. yeah, spot tracker. Yeah, honestly, everyone in the bush should have one of those. Yeah, yeah. they should be made mandatory. Mm-hmm. 
Because, like, particularly when I rolled the car. Oh, yeah. That was something I needed at that time. time. Did you have it at that time? I did. Oh, brilliant. So you- but, however, <laughs> there's a bit of a funny story that goes with this. Yeah. Uh, I was, so I was near Aileron on the Stewart Highway. Oh, yeah. So, like, what, 200 k's north of Alice Springs-ish? Yeah, yep, yep. And I was heading out to a station from Aileron, basically, heading out to a station west of Aileron, going to that. That's where my next port of call was. And probably about 30 k's on the way there, it was very sandy, the track. So the only thing at the end of this road was this particular station and an Indigenous community. And I was about 30 k's out and I stupidly didn't let the tyre down in my tyres. I had a top-heavy vehicle. It just, she just, I was only doing 50 or 55 k's. Like I wasn't, I could only do a max of 80, so I wasn't speeding. Yeah. And it, the wheels just stuck to the to the road and it just flipped me. So I rolled Alice and then I did press my SOS on my spot tracker, but I think I was in a bit of shock, so I didn't press it for long enough. Oh. I think you've got to press it for like three seconds yeah, or something. Yeah. And it was it was about, um, it was probably like 11 or Oh, maybe it was like it was somewhere like eleven o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon. So my PA in Toowoomba, who could watch my spot tracker, wasn't really looking out for me. She was out with the kids or something, and I didn't realize the spot like the SOS on the spot tracker hadn't gone off. But I only waited about twenty minutes after I rolled the car, and this <laughs> beaten up um, Mitsubishi Magna comes boring along. I was like, oh, someone's here to save me! Woohoo! And um, this couple picked me up. And <laughs> Trunk and they'd done 300k round trip to get because they came from a dry community, they'd gone to Aileron to get two six packs of VB and they'd already finished half of them in, in that 30k's back from Aileron. And they're like, Oh, come in, we'll take you. I was like, All right, well, I've got no other option here, I'm in the middle of nowhere. So, I packed up my jo- dog, Geordie, got my camera gear, I got, I got everything that was sort of of worth value in the car out, hopped in their car with them. And they're drinking cans as they're driving, no seatbelts, you know, it's wild as. I'm still in shock and like I've been hyperventilating and you can, I've got a video and you can hear my labored breathing. I'm still like, because I just, I've just rolled the car. Anyway, and we're driving along and I don't smoke, but they started, they were smoking the car. I'm like, Screw it. If you can't beat them, join them. So I bummed a cigarette off them. <laughs> and here I am drowned. I'm more like bum puffing this cigarette because I'm not a very good smoker. I'm in the back of the car. I've taken a video of myself and I've got red dirt all over my face from the crash. I've been crying so I've got mascara running all down my cheeks and here I am bum puffing the cigarette <laughs> and rolling my eyes like this is life right now. Yeah, I was like, that was fine. They got me back to the station and then um, I went next door to the community health centre and they wanted to fly me to Alice Springs because they were worried about concussion and, like, broken neck and stuff. I was like, I'm fine. (laughs) This is not necessary. (laughs) So that was an interesting part of the trip. Well, at least you had the spot tracker, I guess, but I think it's a two-step process. One, everyone get your spot tracker. Step two, learn how to use it properly. But it was great because I could always – people always sort of knew, particularly if I was driving like a long – some days I'd drive like 12 hours. So the people I was going to see could see where I was and the people who I'd left could see where I was. So I always felt like someone was looking out for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're not expensive. Everyone should have one. And if something – 
if something were to happen, and because yep. you can check in as regularly as you like, mm. at least they know the last known location. Yeah. So you know, oh, was she six hours into this drive before she disappeared, or yeah. was she nine, or, or was she three? Like, where do we start looking for her? How many times do you hear of people having accidents on the on the land, and they people can't find them, and they're out in choppers? Like, it yep. honestly should be mandatory. mandatory. Everyone should just have one clip to their belt. It it could save lives. You think they'd just build them into vehicles at some point? Yeah. Surely, like, yeah. And I'm sure yeah. there's probably someone out there with an argument against it. I'm just thinking there's, there'll be like some conspiracy theorists like, we don't want them tracking us. <laughs> or and- someone doing the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> Not being wanted to be caught, yeah. you know, but uh, like young, anyone, you know, it. I, um, I met this bloke once who um, he had, he was on his, I think he was on his horse. Something happened on his horse and, oh, sorry. This is a bad story, isn't it? Um, no, he's on his horse and um, the horse went down. He's mustering the horse, went down and rolled on him. And he was like seriously injured. And the only thing that saved him was his neighbour was a couple of paddocks over fencing. So he could see him mustering and then he went down. But if his neighbour hadn't been there fencing, he wouldn't have known. He would have died. Yeah. And it was it was severe, in, severely injured. He had to be resuscitated like six times. Wow. You know, so that was luck for that particular gentleman. It's it's a small it's a small cost for for peace of mind, I believe. I think absolutely. Mm. What were some of the things you saw on your trip? I know you were visiting people and generally taking family photos. I mm-hmm. saw you actually took I think quite a few people I know in Mataranka. You stopped at my friend's watermelon farm oh, and that took, was cool. Yeah, the baby in the watermelon patch. <laughs> and then but it, was it all just that kind of stuff or did you actually get to go out on some of these stations? Because I think I remember seeing a photo. I think it was Liveringa Station in the Kimberley. That's that you're correct. At, and you got to, you took this photo of everyone like mustering and it was mm. like a great shot. So I'm guessing that on some of the places you went, you got to go out and you, see a bit of the station. Yeah, when I got a chance, like most places I only stayed for a night because I had to, I had 100 days to get around Australia at 80 k's per hour. So <laughs> I was on a time limit. You, sure, you probably would have gone faster with the camels. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> on foot. Yeah. <laughs> It was funny because the only time I ever overtook someone was when I had a breakdown. I, I did a, like a quick, um, a quick practice trip in. I left in the May 2017, but I did a practice trip in Queensland in January 2017. And the only time I overtook someone was when the car was on the back of a, a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, go, Alice." <laughs> So, um, yeah, delivering a station, we went mustering on horseback, obviously, one day, and they crossed, I think it was around 1,500 head of steers across this kind of water uh, walkway between two lakes or dams, but they were, like, filled with crocs. Yeah, yeah. And nice. I took a shot back, so I was sort of at the fr- – I got in front of the um, lead and – I was sitting on a horse and took back a shot back through the ears of the horse with the lead riders and then the cattle behind with the water on either side. And yeah, it was a really cool experience. What were the other things you got to see? Because I mean, I guess that's the other thing about traveling around Australia and going to stations is that you get to see things that people driving along the highway don't because you're mm. off the beaten track. You get to go out and see yeah, bits of, of country course. not many people get to see. Of course. Even we went bull catching up near Burralula. With a guy, chopper pilot, I sort of knew. We did that and just getting the the sort of stand-in cattle yard set up with Hessian bags, like that was pretty cool. Like I, 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 the property I'm from, I'm sixth generation. 
So it's not that I don't know anything about the land, but there's so much variation in Australia. Mm -hmm. Everything changes. Like there's just, you know, there's nothing, even though you might be from the land, it's just done so differently in so many different parts. So, uh, yes, went bull catching at the time. Um, Even I went down to the bottom of WA near Esperance and a lot of farming down there. And it's amazing how they're just They've got paddocks of like wheat and stuff on the edge. Like there's a cliff and then you've got the ocean. Really? Like stuff like that. That's really cool, right? That is really cool. And I'm from WA and I should know that. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there, there was a lot of different experience in the ag industry and that was a really cool thing to, to witness. And the only place I didn't get to on my trip was Tasmania. Oh, yeah. And obviously, uh, I would have had to go on a boat and everything, but that would have been cool to go down there and even look at all the oyster farming or salmon farming or something like that. But that was, uh, uh, that was a big part of the trip was sharing my experience and experiences and allowing people to understand what it's like to live in remote and rural Australia. So, you know, getting you, and for most of your listeners, they'll understand this, getting your mail dropped in via plane or, you know, getting stores and, and groceries to last you a month or not having service for six weeks or, you know, for a lot of people, they understand that. But for the majority of Australians, they have no idea. They Absolutely. just don't get it. Yeah, it is very different. <laughs> Did this trip give you the sort of creativity break that you needed and the boost? Yeah, absolutely. It was a bit of a personal trip too. I needed something for my own sort of soul as well. It's so funny because I wouldn't call myself an adventurer. Like I don't think I'm a very adventurous person, but I end up doing these crazy things. So (laughs) I just, and sometimes just going and getting a bit lost helps me kind of reset from the sort of norm day in, day out, week in, week out of, of traveling for weddings. I travel every week. It's pretty it it takes its toll I think creatively yeah I was sort of reset from that but it just was I I sort of figure in my life you can't work you can't work hard all the time for nothing you've got to enjoy it there's got to be some balance and I go and do these projects every sort of year or 18 months and that sort of refreshes me and, and keeps me going so the weddings as much as I love shooting weddings it it pays the bills and I love my work and I love my career, but it also allows me the freedom financially and time-wise to go and do these other wonderful things that most people wouldn't have the opportunity or the the blessing to to do. Now, it was only a couple of years later in 2019 that you went off on another adventure and that was to head up in northern Queensland to have experience as a Jillaroo. Like you spent so much time in this industry, you're always around rural people, whether that be farms or any part of agriculture or just rural towns, communities. But then you decided at the, I think it was the ripe old age of 33, 34, don't know, guys, we're aging like fine wines, (laughs) to go and be a Jillaroo, which is, you know, something that's often done when people come straight out of school and Mm. usually only do for a few years. Mm. So how did that all come about? So I'd had an injury the year before dislocated my shoulder at work shooting weddings I wasn't it wasn't because I was shooting weddings it was because I was dancing on the dance floor (laughs) (laughs) so I dislocated my shoulder and done a fair bit of damage and then I was booked in to get they sort of gave it a year and it wasn't really getting better so I was booked in for surgery but then I got serious on my physio just a FYI if you go to the physio you've got to do the exercises hey (laughs) oh yeah learned that lesson the hard way I still never did them So I had done the exercises and then I didn't need the surgery. Oh, fancy that. (laughs) So 
I had this three months off work that I booked out of my calendar to go and get this surgery because I couldn't lift a camera with my right arm. And then the surgery got cancelled. So I thought, oh, what's something I really want to do in this time? And I was like, I've always, I never got the chance to have a gap year or do any jillarooing or anything when I left school. So I thought, fantastic. I'm going to go do that. And look, I knew I was an old fart in terms of the industry standard. That's fine. I've got, I'm, my pride's not that great. I think it was a fossil is what the, yeah, the kids fossil, called you. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. You've got a good memory. <laughs> I tend to forget about that. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up on like a national radio. <laughs> so, yeah, so I went up and into the Gulf and the Cape York for about two months and I worked for a contract master up. Now, I knew it was going to be hard work. Like I wasn't deceived or, you know, my eyes were very wide open to it was going to be hard, laborious work, long hours, pay's not fantastic, you know. I I knew what I was getting myself into. However, probably looking back now, where I was, it wasn't a good – the the culture was pretty toxic. It was – I was with a misogynistic crew. There was a – Huge amount of like negligence in terms of um, duty of care, safety. Like it's a dangerous job. I know that, but there was a lot of things that happened on my time up there that wasn't okay. And I speak candidly about this because I think there's definitely people within the industry in the ag industry who do things by the book and and do things the right way. But there's definitely a lot of cowboys out there still. Yeah, And in this day and age, that still surprises me that this is still, some of this shit is still happening. Mm-hmm. And this is something we spoke about briefly, like in preparation for this episode was, and I was like, oh, I want to talk to you about that time you went jillarooing. And you said, well, heads up, if you do want to talk about it, it's not going to be all like beer and Skittles. You know, mm. I actually didn't have the greatest experience. Mm. You know, do you, do you still want me to talk about it? And I thought about it for a moment and then kind of sat on it. And I was like, you know what? I do want to talk about this because- like anything else in the world, like there's everyone has different experiences, different places. And like you said, there's some people out there doing wonderful things. You know, I would know a fair few people in this industry and probably like have come across hundreds of people in my time. And there is a whole spectrum of experiences, a whole spectrum of people, how they run their business. And at Central Station, we do generally talk about, we promote the good stories, but we also acknowledge that there are like you said, cowboys out there doing things wrong, whether it's by the way they treat their animals or their country or their people, obviously generally a minority. And that's where we hope that that just keeps getting smaller and smaller. But we, we don't, one thing that we've always said at this, at our website is that we don't pretend these things don't happen. So if somebody, you know, there's been people being like, Oh, can I write a blog and talk about castration and dehorning? And we're like, yeah, do it. Whereas other times, other publications or even when I went for the government, like, no, 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 we can't put anything else about that. We're just going to pretend it doesn't happen. I'm like, it does happen. We need to talk about it. So I do want to talk to you about this, about your experience. I will preface this for everyone listening to say this is Edwina's experience. It's not an isolated experience, but I also don't necessarily know if it's the norm. I think it's the same as any industry. Some people might work in a restaurant, have a great time. Someone else might have a, you know, mm-hmm. um, but there they are, I think, whether it's animal welfare or land management or workplace health and safety and culture, if there's something that's going on, I think we do need to address it and talk about it. And what I find very interesting about having the opportunity to talk to you about this is that this was your first time in the industry, but you were a 33, 34-year-old woman who had worked in a couple of other industries beforehand. So photography, uh, real estate, I'm 
sure. I think there was a few other things yeah, you've done. Per- personal training. Yeah. I've, been, I've been professional. Yeah, so you've been a professional time. for a long time in yeah. different industries with mm. different, you know, people from backgrounds, you know, men and women, mm. been at different levels. So by the time you come to this job, you have a fairly good idea of, you know, what is standard, you know, professional and ethical behaviour. You as a person with your life experience would have boundaries, mm. self-respect and experience. Mm. You know, you've it's very different than coming into this, say, even particularly, you know, as a woman, it's very different than, say, someone coming in as like a kid on a gap year out of school or, you know, a backpacker or someone just wanting to try it, you know, for the first time as a younger person um, that you're, I feel like, I guess the way to say it is that your eyes are open. Mm. Well, as somebody told me the other day, as you get older, your eyesight gets worse, but you're better at seeing through the bullshit. Mm, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Might take that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Kirsty from Peak Station. She's <laughs> uh, said that in her episode the other day. And I was like, Yes, like, well, thank God my eyesight hasn't gone yet. But I want to talk to you a bit about that because, so at Central Station, the one of my co-founder, Jane Sale, her and her partner, Hayden, or husband Hayden, run 13 stations in the Kimberley. And something that's become very important to them is that they have a big emphasis on workplace health and safety and sexual harassment mm-hmm. and just and bullying and all of that. And in their induction every year, they actually have a presentation on that. Um, for their staff. And that's kind of, there's not many people I've come across yet that are doing that. So while we have like at this one end, people that are taking it very seriously, you know, have like all these policies that, you know, are actually given to you and they're in their little like pocket notebooks and have regular toolbox meetings about, you know, is there something you need to talk to us about? You know, this is a safe place. Then you've got, we've got your experience at the other end of the mm. spectrum. Mm. So sorry mm. to, I just kind of overtook that for a few no, minutes and fine. went on a big monologue, but you, <laughs> yeah, tell me a bit about um, it. Yeah, it just, and look, I've spoken to a few people since after post doing it and they're like, wow, that was a really rough experience. Um you know, the culture. I worked, there was, I think there was like eight or nine of us in my crew, three girls. The girls weren't super friendly. That's fine. I can deal with that. I'm a big girl. You know, I don't, not, not much faces me, but just being sworn at probably the worst type of words you can say to someone over the radio, you know, by the guys at work and then just swearing at me and every word under the sun. And I won't repeat here because no one needs to hear that. But then, in the same breath that night, that all try and hit on me. You know that they'd call me an ugly this and an ugly that and useless and all this sort of stuff during the day, and just like that's not okay. Um, there was a fourteen-year-old in my camp. I think he'd been in juvie prison prior, but my boss, the contractor I was working for, had tried to sort of help him. Um, he had issues with women. Um, he was obviously a young kid. I. I Respect that the contractor I was working for was trying to help him get him on the straight and narrow, but he was violent. He hated women. One particular day we had an altercation. He tried to run me over in a ute and was like threatening to kill me. And obviously I was pretty rattled by this. I'm on foot and this kid's in a ute trying to run me down. And like that particular day we got back to camp and I'd been crying and even the, the boss's wife said to me, don't you dare cry that, you know, no one cries in this camp. You're just being a pussy. You know, like someone's just trying to kill me. I'm pretty upset. Um, yeah, just, just, uh, and even things like I had a broken collarbone. I had a buster off a bike, broke my collarbone. I couldn't even put my bra on or do my jeans up after that. Like, 
and no offering of ice or Panadol, any pain relief. It was just like, get on with it. You know, and when you're in yards, mustering and, and, you know, working with cattle and cattle are, you know, there's obviously some pretty wild beasts in there. Trying to get over a fence with one arm quickly is not possible. But, you know, they didn't care. They were like, you get in and do the same work. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of down one arm here. But it, there just was no consideration, okay, okay, you've got an injury, you get out and you get on the race or something where you're a bit safer. There was so many injuries. In the short time I was there for like two months, there were so many bad injuries and it was just like get over it, you just toughen up. And I really believe it's going to be there's going to be one case where someone gets really injured or killed and it's going to be a lawsuit like no other and there's going to have to be like some regulatory body or something that happens like – but it's going to be too late for whoever that is. And look, in hindsight, there were, there were some great experiences as well. But as a general whole of that experience, it was way more negative than positive. You know, I probably got a bit unlucky. If I had to do it again, I wouldn't work for a contractor. No way. I'd work for a larger agricultural company or a pastoral company because usually OHS is a bit more thorough. They've you know they've got more to lose. <laughs> yeah. They've got when they've got stakeholders and and you know boards and stuff looking over a company. They've got more to lose if something goes wrong. I think it's I think it's a fantastic experience for young people, but there is a lot of shit that's got to be cleaned up. It is it's not safe. It's not kosher. Like yeah, the the culture, the mis- misogyny, like not okay. It would not slide in any other industry. And I don't know how it's still going. And I think it's just purely the remoteness that allows people to still get away with that. Yeah. I'm just, as you're telling that story, I'm just thinking of all the people I know that either own or manage a cattle station and listen to this podcast and how bloody horrified they're going to be to hear that story. Mm. And I'm also, I suppose, anticipating some people perhaps being like, why did you let keep that in the episode. Why would you publish an episode with that story in it? And as I said before, I'm not saying that this is an everyday occurrence and this is, you know, standard across the board, but we do need to be talking about things that, because there are people in this industry that are doing things wrong, like any other industry. I'm sure we could find, um, you know, people not being safe on building sites mm. or oh, of course. whatever, mm. but I don't want us to pretend that it never happens mm. and that we're only putting up, you know, stories of people that have great experiences on cattle stations because then, you know, there are people listening to this who are going to go work on a cattle station or are currently working on there and they think it's this beautiful, wonderful place and mm. they might end up on a place like this. Mm. And and for uh, full disclosure, Edwina has not – I don't know who Edwina worked for. I don't know where she worked. Um, so I actually have no idea who you're talking about. And while, like, you know, curiosity, I'm like, oh, who was it? I wonder if I know them. I'm not going to ask because mm. um, we're not here to – yeah, we're not going to name any names or anything. But if somebody – I guess the point of sharing this story, aside from just acknowledging that there are still people out there, you know, that need to really pull up their socks, like maybe just put their socks on because I feel like they're not even wearing their socks, let alone needing to pull them up, that, you know, how to share your experience with other people so they can be better prepared and uh, when they're going out to work on a place mm. or if they work, are working on a place. Because like we said, it's so normal for people to be, you know, if I was 17, 18, 19 and that was happening like you might just you're so much more easily influencing and if that's the first place you've worked or the thing you might think oh that's just normal it's just normal for people to get up every other day and you know again like yeah coming into it Mm. as a 34 year old Mm. you're like no I've been in the workplace Mm. you know 16 17 years 
I know what's okay and what's I, not. I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe this happens in this day and age. Right. I can't believe this slides still. And yeah, when you're isolated and you're in a camp and you've got, you can't, you've got no phone service, you don't talk to anyone for weeks. Like, how are you supposed to get out of that situation? That comment you said before where you were told, don't cry, don't stop crying, stop being a pussy, mm. that just, oh, you just think, we spend so much time in this industry advocating and trying to raise awareness about mental health. Mm. And and I, I've said this before in quite a few episodes, like love and support Dolly's Dream, but there are so many people I see posting using the hashtag or wearing a Dolly's Dream shirt or T-shirt, and I know they are like toxic, mean bullies, or they mm. still say nasty things about people. And I'm like, that is not what she was about. That's not what her parents are trying to do. Mm. Like don't just say, oh, yeah, hashtag Dolly's Dream, mm. if you're not actually going to live it. Yeah. Like yeah. otherwise you're not doing so. That just – it goes against everything. And that, that was from the, another woman that yeah. said that to me. And I was like, wow, oh. if this was your kid that had been threatened to be killed and was getting chased down by this teenager in a car. Yeah. And, you know, everyone in our crew was rattled by that day. Yeah. It wasn't just me. Everyone else was just like, holy shit, I can't believe that just happened. Like that just – that kid just lost his – you know, just lost yeah. his bucket. He just flipped and you were – he was out to get you because you're a female, you know. Not because I, you know, irritated him or did anything in particular. He just had it out for me because of my sex and it could have been any of the other girls, but I just – wow. Like <laughs> It shouldn't matter what – even if somebody had just said, hey, Edwina, you're a – see you next Tuesday or something yeah. and you cried, yeah. like – that's not the response that anybody should yeah. be giving on that anybody no. deserves. And, and like you said, we, they, people get away with it because you're isolated and, mm. and you're so, and, it, but it's even more like people are so much more vulnerable in these situations because as you said, we're isolated mm. physically, like mm. geographically, but also technologically yeah. from, yeah. from people and yeah. from other forms of support. We weren't allowed to have like, like Wi-Fi and stuff. Or if we were, it was like every three days or something. So, and, and just to put this into perspective too, this kid, the next day he actually got shifted out of camp. So they finally did something about it. But the next day he actually on the, on the, just before he got sent out of camp, he actually king hit the, the boss. Yeah. So he, he had issues. Is, yeah. You know, it wasn't just me. It was him as a, as an individual, but yeah, like it, oh. It's full on. I'm, I'm just thinking though, like <laughs> if it's say that had happened to a young person mm. and then they got told, stop crying, stop being a pussy. Mm. And they just go, okay, yeah, I'm being too sensitive. Mm. And then not only do they kind of, you know, bury that down and not deal or mm. unpack whatever's going on and they're not allowed to feel mm. how they are able to feel, but then they're probably going to end up, that'll become just a cycle of mm. them saying it to the next generation and on mm. and on. And it's just not okay. And I think, yeah, the more isolated you are, the more you need a strong, supportive mm. crew. So what – and I, I'm just hoping that for anybody listening to this, if you find yourself in a situation and you're like, this isn't right, I know it can be hard, but I just want people listening to know that you don't have to put up with any mm. of this. This is not normal and this is not – the norm and the standard or the baseline, there will be so many people sitting in their car right now or listening to their iPhone or whatever and just being mm. bloody mortified. Mm. So mm. what would you say to anyone listening that, you know, is in a not, you know, in, I suppose in a just a toxic work environment, whether it's on a station or in a retail store or in oh, McDonald's, you know? Of course, because it does, you know, there's stuff like, you know, stuff that's as bad as this that happens in other industries. I just think trust your intuition and, 
if you're not safe if and if you're, you know, everyone knows what's wrong and right. Mm. Everyone does. There's no excuse for that. You know what's wrong and right. It's just whether it's acceptable or accepted in where you work. So if you're getting treated like rubbish and not being respected and, you know, we all have our moments where work's stressful and whatever, but like being sworn over the the two-way at, um, all this sort of stuff, like that's not okay. Like it's not productive. It doesn't, doesn't make mustering any easier for anybody. You know, if this is happening, walk away. You know, there's plenty of jobs out there that, as you said, Steph, there's plenty of other people that would, you know, take take you under their wing, have you on board. Oh, I think it just can't, it, it's a hard thing. Even for me, it was hard to do, um, to leave. And I think it was hard for me to leave purely on the basis that, well, I couldn't get out because I had no car. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so I had no way to oh, get out. Oh, that's a nightmare. Yeah, so, and then I couldn't contact anyone. And I, I, um, I actually had some health problems too. So I had to leave, but... I had to wait till someone else was going for me to leave. <laughs> so I was logistically Can I hide under a blanket in the booty of car. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So she left and I went with her. Um, and there was a mass ex- exodus in in a few in a week. I think like five of us left. Yeah, of, of a crew of nine. So go figure. Yeah, you know, you'd be surprised how long people can get away with some shit, though. Oh, like yeah. you think, oh, they treat them bad, or they're not doing the right thing, or you yeah. know, it's not going to last that long. Some people have been getting away with this shit for years, mm. and yeah. they somehow make it work. And that's the by. thing is, culture like that doesn't start overnight. It is something that's been going on for a long time, and it's been accepted. And and yeah, just having if if you run a business, or you run a station, or you run a stock camp, or whatever you do. You have a responsibility as a leader to look after those people. That is your responsibility to make sure everyone feels safe. Don't get me wrong. I know the work's uns- – it's it's dangerous work. There's going to be injuries. But outside of the work, everyone should feel safe. They shouldn't feel like they, you know, can't hang out with their crew and not be sworn at or treated like rubbish. You know, they should feel safe. They should feel like if there's a problem, they should be able to come to you and talk to you about it. You know, and you should have their best interest at heart. And as a leader, that's in your best interest too because if you have good culture and a good crew and a crew that, you know, there's respect within that crew or that team or that environment, the workload's going to be done better Yeah, because we're all working together and we're all looking out for each other. Like Everything just flows. Yeah, it's a win for everybody. So get your head out of your ass <laughs> and stop thinking that, you know, you have to be tough to, to work up in the territory or work on a, in a stock camp or whatever because that's not how things work. Yeah, and there's nothing there's nothing worth if anyone's listening like my pet hate is someone like, you know, if you're tagging cattle and like, oh, just do it in the race and you're trying to put your arm in through the, ba- mm. the bars of the race and the animal's moving back and forth and I was always too slow and I was like, like and hesitate. Mm. You know what? There's a crush there for a reason. Mm. Like, catch his head, do it there. Mm. It's not worth breaking your arm because mm. I have seen somebody actually break yeah. their wrist when the animal jumped up. Like, there are things that are not okay, but people will still try and get you to do mm. it. So, no, I guess know your limits. And if you're somewhere where it's not right for you, there are, for every crappy cowboy place, there mm. are 10 better ones. So, 100%. 100%. Just, I'm just so sad that you had like such oh, a, that, sh- what that a was shit just luck, my experience. luck of the draw. Yeah. The other thing, too, is talk about it. Yeah. Because the more that people – I have no fear of talking about it. I'm, this is my experience that happened to me. There's no lies coming out of my mouth right now. It's all the truth. Yeah. 
And if more people talk about these shitty experiences, maybe people will be a bit more aware and, and it'll stop quicker. Yeah. So effectively, hope, hopefully, I might help someone else to, who listens to this. They might go, oh, well, I'm in that situation. I'm going to leave or I'm going to call my boss out on it or I'm going to talk to my manager about it or, you know, it's like anything. We've got to break the stigma and we aren't in the 1950s anymore, you know. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um and we've got to keep with the times and you can still run a very productive business by having respect and safety and, and whatnot within a team. You don't you don't have to be a cowboy to, you know, be a hero. Yeah. I um I think you just summed that up beautifully, so I'm not gonna add anything more to that. You did I think you have segued into our next little bit to chat about though perfectly. Um, about breaking the stigma and something that you have been very active and passionate about is breaking the stigma around mental health. Mm-hmm. So people that have been following you for years, you know, there's been different times where you've been very candid. Um, and rather than us go through specific things that you've spoken about, I suppose I want to just talk about overall mental health rather than like specific events. I had thought, here I am thinking I'm so clever. So Edwina is known as Queen of the Dust. Um, self-titled. Yeah, self-titled. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to call this episode like Queen of Dusting Herself or D- Queen of Dust Dusting Yourself Off or something like that because it feels like there's been, you know, from following your story and listening to other and reading other in- media that you've done, there's been all sorts of setbacks in your personal and professional life or, or, you know, as we all have in our life setbacks. But the one thing about you is that you get back up and you keep going on. You know, it might knock you down for a little while. You might get straight back up, but you seem to be able to get up, dust yourself off. But I don't, I was like, oh, that's a cool catchy title, but I hate the idea of being like, oh, you just got to get up and dust yourself off Mm. because there's so much more to it than that. You're not just getting up and going, oh, okay, that sucked. Dust myself off, keep going. Like there is a lot of work that goes into it. And as you said, at the last five, six years, you've really come into your own and you've done the hard yard. So I just want to talk about that a bit um, because again, like spirit animal sister Mm -hmm. person. Um, (laughs) So talk to me about, I suppose, your journey of of your of mental health and self-care and mm. and what is going behind this idea of um you know what what allows you to get back up and keep mm. going when things don't go right mm. well i've had um clinical depression twice in my life i've just turned 36 last week so you know that's probably maybe standard as as a human in terms of ups and downs in life um but what i've learned from those two times is we all need purpose so i've had that clinical depression twice when I haven't had much going on in my life. Um, so when I've been out of work or, you know, in between um, state like homes or where I'm residing, in between like I've just broken up with a relationship. So it's sort of usually a bit of a um, uh, a mix of a few different things that have been a bit hard and then it's that negative self-talk. Oh my gosh, everything's hard. I don't know how I'm going to survive. Why is it happening to me? You know, and that then leads into me becoming clinically depressed. And I'm very aware of that now. And it's almost like I'm sort of, I've kind of done a 180 where I try and keep myself busy all the time, but that's also not healthy either. Because I'm too, I don't want to, I don't want to be depressed. So I'm trying to avoid not having purpose. But I think this is for humankind. We all need purpose. I did, I did a drought awareness campaign in 2018 called One Bucket, where I drove around New South Wales for two months sharing stories about 
people, um, rural families and communities who are in drought and the humanizing the effects of drought, not just it's 99% of New South Wales is in drought or Cootabarabran's water level is 2%. You know, it's not about figures. It's about how drought affects an individual, a family and a community. And I met this one bloke and he'd, he had actually properly destocked. Uh, and he, you could see, I could see he was struggling, men, like with his mental health. And I said to him, "You need just five sheep." He's like, "Why would I need five sheep?" I'm like, "You need a reason to get out of bed every day, and that is because you've got to go feed those five sheep." So he actually, the next week, he went and bought five sheep, and I think they were like a dollar fifty each, like they were nothing. Oh, like, wow. These old ewes, and yeah, like obviously they weren't for. <laughs> financial purposes or for income, but it gave him a reason every day to go out and feed those sheep. And about, I, I, I've never really shared this story. About 13 months later, he called me and said, you saved my life. Wow. And I was like, oh, what, what makes, why do you say that? That's very kind, but thank you. Why do you say that? And he goes, because you gave me a reason to get up every day I've still got those used and obviously they're, they're old and <laughs> they're not, not going to reproduce or anything, but uh, it gave me a reason just to get up and, and do something every day. And I think, you know, you can look in a lot of Indigenous communities and and people who are homeless and, and really struggling in life, you know, the depression because they just don't have that purpose. Or even people who are going to a job they hate every day, but it's not purposeful for them and they're just doing it because they get a, a weekly paycheck. Mm-hmm. So having purpose, well, for me in particular, is something that is paramount to keeping my mental health well and to keep you on top of going back into that negative cycle. I'm, I guess I'm a bit predisposed. Pre- yeah, yeah, like predisposed yeah. To, to it. Susceptible, so, yeah. Susceptible, that's probably Yeah, no, no I think that's probably synonyms. I think yeah. Yeah. yeah, susceptible to it. So I'm very aware of it. Um and I have no problems talking about it because when you start to talk, it allows other people to talk about it too. And I reckon I've got very few people in my life who've never had anxiety, depression, or some kind of mental health. It's, I don't know why there's yet again, oh, you're a pussy if you have depression. That, that old school thought and train of thought around not feeling right in the head, you know? Oh, actually on my travels, I've come across someone who told me that they're, partner was like oh it's not a real thing it's just in your head just get over it like it's just it's just how you feel like you just got to move on and get over it and I was like no like it's a it's it's real it's a thing and it's, it's not just the while just because you can't see it mm, like yeah. you know if you had a big cut in your face yeah, you wouldn't course. say oh I'll just keep going like you just because you can't see it doesn't yeah. mean it's not yeah. there and it's not yeah and I think we are as a society getting better with it definitely it's hard. Like I, even the second time I had it, just acknowledging it and talking about it, even though I had it before and I'd already spoken about it, having it the second time was going, oh, I've just, you know, sort of coming out of a quite a depressed state for like a few months. Like that was – it's it never gets easier, but just to make it common and make it known that other people – we're all human. This is life. Life will throw us all sorts of tricks. Um, and I just – I've got, yeah, I'd happily talk about it now. It doesn't really, it doesn't worry me talking about it. If, if God forbid, if someone wants to judge me because I've been depressed, well, 
God. You yeah, can judge I, like ninety percent of your social circle. Yeah, then. yeah. I worry. I worry about you and yeah. who you are as a person. Um, because I actually believe I'm one of the most strong and resilient people you've ever met. Like I will put everybody else before me, and I'm entitled to have bad days too. And you know, I've I've been through a lot. Lost my never knew my biological dad. Passed away. Like. Like I've had a lot of stuff happen to me and, yeah, I just – it doesn't mean – because I've I've had depression doesn't mean I'm, I'm weak. It actually means I'm stronger because I can talk about it. it. Yeah. And particularly for males, it's it's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing. But what I, one of the biggest things I've learned is the more I talk about my experiences, it allows other people to talk about theirs. So I'm giving them permi- – it's like I'm giving them permission to share their struggles too. So I find it's my duty – and it's my privilege to talk about my struggles because it allows it might allow someone else to to turn their life around and and go to a much more positive and happier place. I think that you you've just said that perfectly and it is I think it's also a privilege for us to be able to be let in on your journey and your experiences and anybody else who shares their, you know, we've had a few people on this podcast talk about their experience and journey with mental health and, you know, the fact that it's not just a one and done, it's like an ongoing relationship mm. that has to be managed. It's not, it's not like any other part of your health, your, mm. your weight, your glucose mm. levels or whatever, you know, <laughs> I don't know, the stuff, you know, all the bits and pieces, but it's something that you have to manage every day. And, like you said, yeah, the more that we talk about it, the more people know it's okay to talk about it. And then I think just knowledge is power and we learn so much from each other and we know the more you know, the sooner hopefully for somebody else. You know, I, I said in a few episodes ago, I was 30 when I went to a um, clinic for like really intensive therapy for three weeks. But I was 30 and I was like, why didn't they teach this stuff to me in high school mm. or primary school? Mm. Imagine the time I could have saved. Imagine, you know, things. So the, the more we talk about now, hopefully, you know, there's people of all ages listening and it doesn't matter what age you are. It's never too late. Mm. But, and that's what I think is so great about, oh, it sounds so like offhand. I'm like, oh, it's just so great. Like, you know, I mean it more than that, but I'm just. Mm. Can't think. I'm just like, guys, I'm just looking at Dwayne. I'm like, I still can't believe she's sitting right in front of me. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, she's still here. How many drinks have you had, by the way? <laughs> oh, I'm trying. Just one, one water. I haven't even had a cup of tea this morning. Um, and yes, unfortunately, she is as pretty in real life as the pictures. So yeah, sorry. Shucks, I'm going to have to extend that door. I'm going to have to take out that door so I can get out. To you're my not going to, yeah, I was going to say, you're not going to fit in the car. You were driving with your head out the window. Um, feet first through the window. But yeah, that, I think that. That's, yeah, I'm glad that we were able to just at least touch on that. And if people, I, I'm sure everyone is already following you, but you never know. We come, I've been, um, lately driving around. I've got these little cards made up for the podcast. And like when I'm at a rest stop and I see gray nomads and stuff, I'm just like giving out podcast cards oh, to fantastic. everyone. So hopefully there'll be people listening that don't know who you are. So I'll put all the links to your socials in the show notes below. But, um, I suppose this this idea of purpose it may that may be the answer to I had a couple of listener questions come in and one that um, people kept asking but in all different ways but the the essence of it was is how do you stay motivated and what keeps your fire lit? Mm. I just do what feels right in my soul and I know that sounds so corny. <laughs> I know there's no really other way to explain it but so my biological dad was killed when he was forty. I turned thirty six last week or the week before, like recently. And and I, the same week as he passed away and I turned 36, 
I hiked up Mount Kosciuszko. I did see that. In my swimmers at negative eight degrees. Yeah. Crazy. Or hashtag <laughs> boss bitch, but yeah, anyway. But, and people go, why would you do such a stupid thing? And I was like, because I want to live my life. I don't know when my last day is. I want to get the most out of it. And I see so many people stuck in the same job, doing the same thing, going, oh, I really want to do this, but mum tells me no. Or I really want to do this, but my wife thinks it's a stupid idea. Or, you know, I've got the responsibility of kids. And I know, look, responsibilities like kids and family and stuff are a big thing. But there's ways around it, like where there's a will, there's a way. And honestly, Steph, if I drive out of here today and I don't make it back to Brisbane tonight – I'm okay with that because I have lived my life the fullest. I have done what I've wanted. And as long as it means I have not hurt anybody or made anyone else's life less, I've done things to better other people's lives or bring them happiness or sometimes at my own expense, joy. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I've inspired others or I've motivated others or just been real, then I'm okay with that. But also can you – Please make it to Brisbane because you. Will. I was like, you're like, I'll be okay. I was like, I won't. You'll have a memory card full of photos of me that I'll never get to see. <laughs> just kidding. That's just me making a joke, guys. I'm not actually that shallow. <laughs> but also, please don't. They'll be like, I'll be like at the scene and rummaging through the car. They'll be like, oh no, we've just taken her away in the ambulance. I'll be like, where's the camera? <laughs> just kidding. I'll get you your photos. I promise. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just. It's taken me a while, but I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. And I get called crazy all the time. And I'm so grateful for my life. Holy smokes. Like, I'm not like, you know, I didn't come from money or, but I I had a reasonably okay childhood. You know, I had a roof over my head and food in my tummy and warm clothes and, you know, a good education. Fantastic. That was the best start of life. Like, but I've made it my own and, as we were talking before, like finding a life partner. You know, I'm 36 now. I'm still single. I would love to meet someone, but I can't stop living my life because I haven't met someone. And even when I meet someone, they're going to have to jump on board because I'm still going. And I just – I it's all about balance for me now, and that's taken me a while to figure that out. So I work re- – when I work, I work really hard. No one can ever – knock my work ethic, can't even say it. <laughs> work That's because you've ethic. been up working since 5am this morning. So, But when I have time off, I enjoy it. So this year, for instance, I've never had – so I used to go on dates, right? We're getting a little bit personal here. No, I, I love dates. this. I'm like, teach me your way. <laughs> I, I can't even get to that point, so <laughs> hell. Uh, I used to go on dates and – I still do go on dates, believe it or not. <laughs> Again, <laughs> teach me your way. <laughs> and guys go, so what's your hobby? And I go, oh. Um, so I kind of hang out with my dog and like walk him and and I realised it was just work. And this will, this will be very – this will hit the nail for a lot of listeners because I know you will have a lot of hard-working followers here. All I did was work. And, yes, I loved my work, but it was nothing for me. It was always for some, someone else. So this year I've taken up golf, 
which is a bit of a random sport because I'm 36-year-old white female. <laughs> Wearing, like, those patterned socks yeah. and high-waisted pants. I just, I've just come back from Villa Wheeler. Um, there's this amazing tournament called the Queen, uh, Outback Queensland Masters, and I was the youngest there by about 20 years, but that's okay. <laughs> golf tournament. Look it up if you're into golf. But I now, because I travel so much for work, I take my clubs with me and I play at all these beautiful rural and regional courses around Australia. So I play the morning before um, I shoot a wedding or like the afternoon before and I can play it by myself. I can play with others and it's something I've found that I get so much enjoyment out of but I can also work and I can have the best of both worlds. I feel like I wonder if he's still – I matched with like a golf pro on Tinder the other <laughs> Like, well, I see that this is the thing. I give my phone to my friends. I'm like, here, you have a play. Oh, that's and, what they and, all say. <laughs> no, and then the other morning, so the girl whose house we're in, I had to wake up yesterday morning and like do so many unmatches because I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to look at – I'm going to – okay. Anyway, and Dwayne is into golf. Golf pros are sometimes crazy though. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. maybe. Was his name Darren? I don't know. I'm going to look this up afterwards, though. <laughs> Could be my golf coach because he was a Billa Wheeler with me. <laughs> this is he, I know he's probably on Tinder. <laughs> this is brilliant. Anyway, so finding balance. And, yes, golf takes a lot of time, but I also don't feel bad about that because that is something that gives me balance in my life. And I'm going to be dead set honest with you, Steph. Right now in my life, I've never been happier. I finally found that juicy spot where I can still work hard, but I can do st- other stuff that I really enjoy and I don't feel guilty about. And I think that's the thing is people aren't working or they're not involved with their family life and they do something for themselves, they feel guilty. But this is where I find my own self-worth and my own self. I respect myself because I need time out for me too. I can't be the best version of myself at work, you know, in your family, as a mom, as a dad, as a manager or whatever else you do, the the pivotal parts of your life, you can't be the best at that if you don't look after yourself. You know, the, the old saying of, you know, you've got to put your oxygen mask yeah. on before you help others. And honestly, I right now I feel the happiest I've ever felt in my life and I think I've just finally found that sweet spot for me. I so. don't even have a comeback. I just have the biggest smile on my face. I'm like, oh, my God, we actually are twins. And psych, you're going to get like – Should we get matching tattoos? I'll say – I hope it's – I did that with a friend once. I hope this isn't one of those things where like she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, guys, you might hear me like another like 10 episodes being like, so it's been like 10 weeks and I still haven't heard back from a tweener. She said she's washing her hair that night and she's been out of service a lot. Like, I'm no, like oh. definitely not. I have a really good habit of like forcing people to be my friends. So That's okay. I'll happily be I'm your friend. I'm a high rate. Um, well, I also want to ask, I suppose you've kind of hinted at it at a bit. You have a new project coming up or a new direction in life. And as you said, like it's evolution. We're always growing where, you know, you always see the world in a different place. See, in a, sorry, see the world in a different way. And you have, I think for a lot of people, like our core values may stay the same, although hopefully grow as well, but the way we want to achieve them and realize them grow. So you have a new project coming up. Talk to us about that. Yes. So at the end of this year, I'm finishing up wedding photography, as we mentioned before. But coming out of retirement for me in 20 years' (laughs) time. Absolutely. 100%. And I'm starting a dress label. So it's called Field. You can find it on Instagram, Field the Label, F-E-R. I can't even spell it. God, (laughs) geez, I need a drink. (laughs) F-I-E-L-D. That's the 5 a.m. start of the talking. Um, F-I-E-L-D. Now, 
I funny story, Steph, because when I left school, I studied fashion design. Now, I went down to a very expensive design college in Sydney and studied an advanced diploma for 18 months. It was pretty full on, but the day I graduated, I liked fashion and I was kind of okay at it, but it wasn't my passion. And I was like, I don't want to sit on a 30K a year job for the next six years trying to make it big. I don't want it that bad. So I went, the day I graduated from fashion, I became a personal trainer, much to my parents' disgust. I still think they're getting over that. Anyway, so. I actually studied fashion design and twenty, nearly 20 years later, here I am starting my label. So super excited. A few reasons to why I've started it. I struggle to find clothes I like. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a standard kind of woman, you know, 10 to 12, double D bust kind of thing. I've got boobs. I've got a bit of booty, you know, and I really struggle to find things that aren't full midriff or up around my vagina. <laughs> You know, I've come 36 now, I've got to be a bit modest. Um, or it's just not all bust in your face. And then things that are I, – I love quality. I would much prefer to pay a bit more for something that's going to last than something that you get two wears out and it rips or the button comes off and I just think quality is such a big thing. So, Are well, you too afraid to wear it? Yeah. Or you wear it the whole time, you're freaking out going, is this going <laughs> to yeah. like – Catch on something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm making these beautiful dresses. Um, they're going to be Australian made. Everything's like the prints are going to be exclusive, beautiful floral prints. And basically the idea of these dresses are – sorry, sorry, gentlemen, but if you like dresses and wear dresses, get on board as well. <laughs> um, Buy them for your partner. Yeah. You're getting her good books. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the idea of these dresses are that they'll be the type of dress – You can either wear to the races or to a wedding or to a first date, especially for you, Steph. But then you can also dress them down and put some little sneakers on, some little boots and wear them to brunch or, you know, wear them more casually. So they're quite versatile um, and hopefully when you invest in a piece, you will have that for a long time um, and it will be a favourite staple in your wardrobe. It will be your go-to dress. So that's the idea. Pretty scary kind of process starting this label. I've invested my life savings into starting this um, and I'm still a bit short. So I'm like, oh, we'll find some money somewhere. I might have to start going back to weddings. I don't know. (laughs) Watch this face. But it's something I really want to do and I think – I always get asked from my like social media, where would you buy your dress from or where would you get that? And I kind of wear the same thing over and over. I really want to sort of um, push – for, it's cool to wear the same dress on your Instagram more than once. Like I hate this kind of wear and wear and chuck out kind of attitude. Fast fashion. Yeah, yeah, I hate that. Like everyone's really caught up in manufacturing and ethical manufacturing, but not so many people are caught up in the fact that you you see someone wearing an outfit once and they never wear it again. And I think that's a real problem. Yeah. So yeah, I that's so there's a lot of different sort of takes and a lot of different ways and, and messages I want to get across in this label. And I'm sharing the journey of starting this label with my followers as well, which is kind of something a bit different too. So I'm going to, you know, there's going to be some epic fails, no doubt, and some epic wins, but I'm going to share that not just like, oh, I've created dresses and here's the label. I want people to be invested in how I've started this fashion label and what it takes and what you need to do and be open to talking to people about it because even there's things that I've learnt. I thought, you know, I could get a whole collection made in like three months, like minimum six months. 
Oh wow! Yeah, people don't. People are like, oh, we have stuff ready by September. I'm like, I will just have my samples ready by September. So just we don't know what is in the process of how, having our clothes made. People will love that though, being brought along on the journey. Mm. I think people feel like they're right there with you rather mm. than behind you or behind mm. a piece of glass watching you from a distance up mm. on the stage. Like people mm. feel like they're right yeah, there I with you. Yeah, I hope so. And they're all part of it too. So it's just, this label isn't much for women of the bush and, and women who want to be stylish and, you know, have beautiful quality made garments. This is as much for them as well as me. So it's a, it's a wonderful journey to share. I think it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Like people and your audience are used to investing with you, investing in beautiful, unique, like creative products, I suppose, mm. which is your photography. And then this is you know, same, same, but different. They're going to be investing in unique or oh, in high quality. So they're still going to be investing in unique, beautiful, high quality, something mm. that's come out of your creativity. Mm. It's just clothing. So it's still. I hope so. Adoint. So I think yeah. it's like a good. Yeah. Oh, trance. I don't know. Yeah. I've got no words. Yeah. So I hope she so. She keeps looking at me, guys. I'm like, <laughs> choke, choke. <laughs> I hope so. But yeah, like much of my life, I want to keep it authentic and keep it genuine and be honest about the process. And, you know, there's this thing um, called greenwashing in the fashion industry, which I didn't know anything about until recently. And basically it's like brands like H&M, for instance, they say it's conscious, a conscious collection. So you think, oh, okay, they're doing the right thing. And it might be the fact that they use like 10%, 100% cotton or something, you know, like, and then they label it conscious collection, like there's so much unethical shit that goes on in the mm-hmm. fashion industry, sometimes like in the ag yeah, industry. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to be really transparent about the journey and what I'm doing and how I'm manufacturing and, and hey, I'm going to make lots of mistakes. And <laughs> But I'll just share it because that's what starting a business is like. It's a totally, completely new industry. And it's actually – that's part of the reason I'm doing it because I want to grow in a career as well. I want to expand my knowledge and my lessons – yeah, I've been doing weddings for nine years. I can do it in my sleep. Like it doesn't, it doesn't spark any stress in me anymore. I can just do it with my eyes closed, and that's been fantastic. And I've loved the stability, but now I need to really push yourself. Push, yeah, get a new challenge. Yep. So to wrap up, looking back on your journey so far, and while you may be a <coughs> fossil, um, <laughs> you are still very early on in life. So. But, but so far, what would you say is the takeaway lesson? Do what you want. Don't worry about others' opinions. And often others' opinions, it's nothing personal to you. It's an insecurity or it's a trigger they have within themselves. And that's something I've really found. Even my own mother said to me, you know, in previous years, you know, you should get a real job. Like – okay, I'm doing pretty well. Like I'm shooting 50 weddings a year, traveling around the country and the world. Like I'm doing okay. But that was her kind of perception of her own own self and where she was at in life. So life's too short to live for other people and to, to keep them happy. It really is. And as soon as you start living authentically and genuine to what you want to do and how you want to live your life, you'll be so much happier. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.